We obviously didn't communicate clearly. We're here to discuss your surrender, not mine. My reign has just begun. Happy shitting, everybody. Well, Ghost didn't <laughs> kill Ramsey 2K16, but... Close uh, enough. Does a dog shit in the woods? No. Wait, <laughs> does night? Clearly he does. <laughs> well, I can definitely say that I was not expecting that start to the episode. We've now seen the highly anticipated, highly... Stressful. <laughs> right? Battle of the Bastards. Hard Homes director returned for another stretch of violence. Plus, little Happy Meal toy of Slaver's Bay. I was not expecting the start of that episode the way that it did. I thought we were going to be getting the Battle of the Bastards for the full 60 minutes. And the fact that we were able to go to Marine, that we got a lot of dialogue between Tyrion and Daenerys. And then, of course, with the Greyjoy's arrival... And dogs were not the only thing that were let out in this episode. There were two other dragons that were freed as well. Oh, my God. And, uh, it was unreal. I just, the whole episode, I mean, really, when you think about the fact that this is a television show, right? I try and even think of another television show that has a dragon in it that would <laughs> be on the scale of Drogon when he lands right behind Daenerys and she gets on him and flies away. I mean, this was a pretty unbelievable episode from that standpoint. Yeah, the things in Marine, I know we talked about it on last week's, both of last week's episodes, but things in Marine just fell. The chips were scattered. And I know, I know that it wasn't the full breadth of what some of you were expecting or what could have been set up from the books, but let's just talk about what we did see and how well it was presented. We finally got some real movement, I feel like, in Marine, like something actually happened. Well, a lot of stuff happened, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I was excited that the episode started that way because I think that so much of speculation was focused in the North. I will say I was kind of surprised that we didn't get to see... Theon and Yara just showed up there with with Danny and Tyrion yeah. instead of us getting to see their make them <laughs> them make their grand entrance. But I kind of just said what it was still cool. Yeah, and seeing Tyrion basically call Theon out for all those things that happened in the past was, I mean, that was <laughs> any fun. man who makes a slight against the dwarf's sight thinks he's the first man to do so. <laughs> is is good fun. I thought Tyrion was great this episode after being kind of annoyed last episode with how he'd been this season. I thought that he was ruling this episode and his Danny looking at him at the start when she gets, what is he saying? He's like, Marine's on the rise. And she's just staring at him like, <laughs> um, okay, it's literally being bombed right now. I thought that was a really cool moment. Those dragons, that action sequence. I mean, from the moment Drogon reared over the top of the, one of the lesser pyramids and landed, uh, I mean, not a single bit of it was awkward. Not a single bit of it. She, I mean, it was just, I can't say enough good things about the blocking and the execution of the action sequences in this episode. That incredibly long sequence inside of the battle where John just kept fighting and kept fighting. And I thought about all the different moving parts inside of that, that, that made that tracking shot possible. We talked about things from Watchers on the Wall, which was a few seasons ago, but I feel like in another style, an even more impressive feat was pulled off in this episode, in addition to the things that we saw in Marine. They continue to innovate. They continue to make or find ways that make each bite, uh, fight scene, battle scene unique. And I think that's that's what actually uh, shook me the most, is how unique and exciting uh, this battle was. And actually, I think 
I'm going to be honest, I think I developed claustrophobia watching John struggle to breathe Seriously. beneath the bodies. Like, it, it did not let up. And uh, for a while there, things were, were just not going in John's favor. And I, I thought we might have seen the end of him or any number of his close companions, RIP 1-1. But uh, this this victory just feels so... Uh, I'm just exhausted having watched this crazy, insane battle come to a close. A mm-hmm. pleasant, you know, it's it's not an altogether bad feeling, but it is just kind of like, I just feel like I've, you know, we've just, we've just seen a war. We've just seen a battle happen, and it, it feels that way. So, uh, mad props to everyone who makes the show for being able to convey that level again, as Micah said, on, on television. There were so many moments from this battle that I want to point out, and half of my notes just say things like, I hate this show. Because like you were saying, Eric, when John's suffocating, there was that me... Th- I was just thinking, are you serious? Is this how... Is he going to die right now? Just <laughs> Beneath his own men, like... There's there's a bit of the battle where I, I think John kind of looks I, for all the hopes that we had for him leading a, an army. I think he really it, it was essentially laid bare uh, that he his strategy was deeply flawed. Sansa told him so uh, before, you know, on the night before the battle. And I think it was more or less proven uh, in the in the in the outcome. Although I will say, you know, still, if all the wildling men died and all the Bolton men died, they actually did. That's a pretty impressive uh, outcome considering their numbers. So there's that. But John was was very near death. And of course, if it weren't for the men of the Vale who come in and say who came in and save the day, I think people were um, expecting that to happen or hoping that Littlefinger's men would show up and they did to save the day. But it uh, it was not without a cost. And we still don't know what Sansa promised him. Those conversations happened off screen. Uh, I think we'll find out more next week. But it was a hard victory. It was hard to watch. It was hard to see. And it's hard to feel wholly good about it afterwards, except, you know, I think we're all rejoicing just a little bit that Ramsey is pr- probably finally gone. I was celebrating the first third of this episode hmm. uh, for I saw all the things Marine and then we got the cut back to Daenerys counseling with the Greyjoys. How did you guys feel about those moments and what they came out with. Uh, Yara loves Danny 2K16. <laughs> yeah, I thought absolutely. it was cool. Yara weds Danny 2K17. Uh, baby She's on the down way. for it. She said as much. Daenerys was immediately able to find common ground. And that and that's something that uh, you want in a, in a ruler and you certainly want it in her. But she, she had that line, all of our fathers in this room, all of our fathers were terrible. You know, that that's, that's the kind of thing that you kind of want to see um, Daenerys, the leader of the future ruler of Westeros, say. My grandmother just texted me. It's a text oh, in all caps. After watching, I'm assuming after watching this episode of Game of Thrones, I could Let's be completely hope. wrong. It just this? says, holy shit, in all caps. <laughs> with several exclamation points. I think this might be the first time she's ever texted me a curse word. So, Well, I, I tweeted using several curse words throughout the course of the show. It's... This episode was just one of those episodes where it's very hard to find moments to tweet, primarily because you don't really want to spoil anything for those who have yet to watch it, but also just because you're so engaged in what's going on throughout the course of the battle. And like Hannah, you were saying earlier, there was just so many moments that took place and it's hard to just put a finger on one of them and say, oh, let's, you know, really kind of jump into this. But the John 
to me, the, the John suffocating moment, that was just, I mean, how do you shoot something like that? How do you make that come to life on TV? Because to your point, he was, he looked like he was left for dead. I mean, there's, there, I mean, forget about it. If one, one trampled over all of them, there's no way he would have been able to survive. And, and yet you're thinking of all the things that preceded this, the fact that he was brought back in the beginning of the season, Melisandre and him have that conversation earlier in the episode. You know, what is the true purpose of him being back? What is the, what is, you know, the Lord of lights intent for him? And, and nobody really seems to know. And, and yet, I don't know. There's just there. There were just so many things. I, I thought the the way that the Bolton army formed themselves around John and the Wildlings and the other men of the North that was just such a smart war tactic. And yep. that goes back mm-hmm. into him leading a trap for John, and he used Rickon to do it. We haven't even spoken about Rickon, but <sighs> that was yeah. yeah how painful that was to watch, but. The fact that he wouldn't listen to her, this is somebody who had to spend so much time over the course of last season with him. She knows how he works. And I was surprised that John was not as willing to listen to what she had to say. And it ended up, I think, costing, I think, I think Rickon was doomed no matter what to Sansa's point. Sansa said as much. Yeah, she did. This episode she she said, he's lost. Let's not focus on him. But immediately, what does John do? He sort of leads with his heart, and it, it ends up creating a really dire situation for them if the men of the Vale choose not to show up when they do. Do you guys think this fight would have been different if, in those moments where she was counseling John, especially about the death of their own brother and the writing off of their own brother, because that's, I mean, it's a hard truth, but we haven't seen him in a while anyway. So they're writing into battle against Ramsey Bolton. Rick and Stark, all those points that she made, they're all true. Would the fight have changed? Would have the entire battle have been different? Would the diplomacy, would the politics of it, would all of it have been different if she would have, before going into battle, told John that there was a possibility Knights of the Bell would arrive? Yes. Um, I'm surprised she kept it from him still. Uh, there was a moment very clear in this episode where I thought that Sansa would reach out and tell him at least that there was another chance uh, because she's ultimately counseling him against falling into a trap, but then says herself, I, well, you know, I don't war tactics. I don't know war tactics. It's not, it's not me. I'm just telling you what kind of man he is. It doesn't, you know, it's sort of a half step because she, she essentially chose to continue to deceive John. And frankly, the casualties were so strong at the point where the men of the veil uh, showed up. And I was hyperventilating from watching John uh, nearly hyperventilate and, and, and torment. Yeah. So, so I couldn't, I mean, honestly, there was sort of, uh, anger in my eyes and frustration geared towards Sansa, uh, at that time, simply because, uh, we were expecting the men of the veil show up. It was pretty well hinted at that that was the letter that she was writing a few episodes back. And so it just seemed like a foregone conclusion that the men of the veil would help. But, you know, at what cost? They did show up, except to say that now that was after John made a fool of himself and killed thousands of his own men uh, or lost thousands of his own men let's say you know could that have been handled better i think a hundred percent by sansa sansa has those men's blood on her hands i think because she remains silent that might be harsh that might be unpopular i'd love to know what you guys think i never really thought of it that way to be honest but i do think that there is 
uh, a little bit of blame to be put on her shoulders for not holding them off uh, a little bit longer to know whether or not the veil was going to be answering her call. And of course, it makes a great story. They show up right in the nick of time to save the day. Mm-hmm. And that's really not, if you think about it, the way that George has traditionally written things. I mean, it's it's always been that the situation is what it is. There's no hero Retrieve. that comes along to really prevent a specific character from being killed off or to stop one army from obliterating the other, though it was a bit reminiscent of um, when Tywin's army, uh, along with Loras Tyrell, rides in in Blackwater and, you know, destroys Stannis's army. So mm. I, I, I thought mm-hmm. a little bit back to that, uh, and it, it just had a little bit of a parallel for me, especially considering Blackwater was in episode nine. This was in episode nine. Um, interested to know what you guys think about that. I tried to not see it that way. And by not see it that way, I mean, I tried to watch the episode and not think analytically about their decisions. I tried to just enjoy the story and the drama that was unfolding in front of me. But I found myself not being able to help trying to understand what decisions were made and why they were made and how they were coming in. And I I felt like, and this isn't a critique whatsoever, but the episode was so grand in scale and brought so much. And because of that, it was incredibly impressive and lived up to all of its hype, in my opinion, and was a treat to watch. But I was expecting a little bit more than the Knights of the Vale arriving and saving the day. Yeah, I mean, Sansa and like the, the types of discussions that were had in this episode, I think, across the board, no one's fucking around. You're talking about Danny waging an alliance with the Iron Islands and, uh, yeah. and Yara agreeing somehow that the... Ironborn are going to change the very nature of who they are for Danny. Yeah, that was big, uh, you know, and that that's just going to work, uh, or you know, they're going to figure it out that that that's that's that sort of thing is possible. It gives us hope, and then you have Sansa re- uh, reluctant to share all of the information, but still chastise John on his war strategy, uh, which is uninformed because she's made it that way, um, you know. And then you have all these men die, and it's like it's nobody's fucking around. Like this, this is real. These men were lost. Sure, they were all extras. What should we care? Davos still lived. I was stealing myself for Davos's death. And Tormund, thankfully, tore the throat away with his teeth, uh, the side of the face away with his teeth, and didn't die. Because who, who else was just so worried that that was the end of Tormund Giantsbane? Me, I was that almost was for sure. Me, yeah. Uh, Davos and Tormund could have both died. God, I'm so happy that we walked away with so many of our friends. Not, not. I, I, I can't mean, surprised. I can't be happy. Uh, I'm me still too. Scared. I'm still scared that like 10 more minutes of the show will air tonight unexpectedly. Like right before I'm about to go to bed, the TV turns itself on and everybody I love still dies. <laughs> I just don't feel safe. Maybe that's what it is. I feel claustrophobic still. Maybe I don't feel safe coming out of this episode. Right. Because it's, it's all kind of mess. There was just a lot of intense. I Was the yeah. show more violent? tonight than it was before oh it, it was it was that, that like i said that long take of john fighting i don't know mm-hmm. beyond like where do we go from here in the in the fights or the depictions to come like those dragons that was daenerys riding her in dragons doing what she did that was the definitive that's what you do when you're when you're burning shit with dragons they are in they're hiding down below okay they tear their way through the wall and they you know what i mean like that's what 
that's it. This is when when she got on top of Drogon, I immediately thought this is in-game stuff we're seeing. This is the beginning of the in-game stuff we're seeing. This is this is it. This is how it goes down. And it was mm-hmm. executed flawlessly in the fight. That was just I mean, that was on a level. I mean, we thought Hard Home was insane. Yeah, Hard Home was visceral. It was just it was just plain violent. And uh, this triple doubled it. This this was just a kick in the mouth after this episode was over, and uh, it almost doled me on all the on all the plot that was trying to happen around it. All the story stuff with Sansa and Ramsay and the dogs, and you know, I feel like the most cutting thing that I can pull away from the fight after being, like I said, kicked in the mouth from all of uh, all of the incredible direction was uh, Rickon being violently killed in that way. That was just that was just painful. It was it was just a shame to see, but at the same time, Ramsey is doing what Ramsey does best, and f- and for no longer. I mean, is that is that the, like it was it was really difficult to see him play with his food before he ate it one last time. But that's who he is, and, that's and, he and is. that's what yeah. Sansa warned John about exactly. And, like, yeah. Yeah, without telling him the full story, I'm sorry, I'm still angry at Sansa. What do you I mean really... the full story that the veil could be on the way? Is that yeah. What you mean, or just that he's a sadistic individual who shouldn't be trusted in anything that he says? I mean, Eric, I'm in the same place as you, where there's there's certain things that I feel like I'm hung up on, but at the same time, we have to look at the framing and the context that the show made it very clear that we're in, which is mm-hmm. Sansa's giving John tips about the the fight the next day, and these are things that we kind of assumed John was ready for. I feel like that we're getting kind of a meta uh, warning about what we were about to see with the fight because John was saying, "I've already fought the scariest things that you can fight. I've already protected yeah. the wall against a way huger threat than this. This is a fight of a few thousand guys versus a few thousand guys." And I feel like John was almost commentating what a lot of viewers were probably thinking at that moment. So going into the fight, knowing that or Going into, I guess, judging the decisions of our characters, knowing that, I think will help you look at it with a different light. But I wish that you didn't have to. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of questions. I mean, I'm kind of in the same-ish boat. I think that there was a couple moments when we could have had Sansa talk to John about what was happening. And I'm hoping that we kind of got in the preview for next week's episode that the two of them are having a conversation about how they need to trust each other. And I'm hoping that that kind of comes out of the events of what happened today. It seems like they made peace. Yeah. Based on the very preview, I think he's kissing her forehead or she's kissing his, but it's, it's shocking. Like she is, she doesn't need to trust him. She doesn't need anything. She's Sansa fucking Stark and she just killed her husband, Ramsey Bolt. Like, (laughs) He, she doesn't actually need to trust John. John is, is, has no men anymore. John's not, you know, I, I just don't see these siblings are uneven and I'm kind of upset about it. The only thing they share, uh, is their, their loss of Rickon. I mean, I think that they share the fact that they're siblings and that they're in this together. And I think that the two of them need each other, if for no other reason than to navigate what happens but next. Sansa does not need John. Or she might next, but she certainly didn't in this episode. Well, he did buy her some time for the Knights of the Veil to come in and ensure victory. I guess, yeah. After the opponents were so well circled around that insanely tall pile of bodies. Can we just talk about what the hell? They were fighting in hell. That was hell. They were yeah, fighting hell. in hell. John was almost pulled down into hell through the quicksand of lost lives. By in fury. Yeah. <laughs> Too bad Littlefinger uh, <laughs> and Sansa couldn't have shown up a little bit earlier, right? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the, it, it ended in a swift victory, so it depends on how you look at it. If it weren't for the fact that we almost lost 
crucial characters, important characters to us, would we be looking at this fight any differently? Uh, because we won, right? Well, we that's the thing is, right? When, yeah, like collectively we won and that doesn't always happen. It actually very rarely happens on this show. And I think that's why we're all a little bit giving pause to this episode and, and yeah. where we are now heading into the season finale, because you're saying to yourself, well, yeah, it's sad we lost Rickon. It's sad we lost 1-1. Ramsey, everybody was probably cheering when that happened or just looking away, trying to hold down their dinner. But <laughs> it's it makes me a little uneasy heading into the finale because nothing is ever this easy. And I'm just worried now. But it wasn't now. easy, though. Like, I still feel like... Yeah, well, it wasn't easy. Sure, we didn't get... I mean, I think that we had all predicted that a lot of our favorite characters could possibly die in this episode between Tormund and Davos and even John. There were some moments when we were thinking, is this, is he going to die again? <laughs> Do we have to watch yeah. this again? But I still don't way. think, I still don't think it was an easy victory for them. I still feel like, I still feel like this was a real battle. And the fact that we were in it and that we're all kind of trying to come out of it physically as well. Um, I, I it was, it was a real sacrifice. I don't necessarily think it was a cop out. If that's what you're trying no, to no, say, no, no, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, and, and I'm saying easy in the sense that we really didn't lose characters that maybe we had anticipated losing, and and and, and it's not to diminish the role of Rickon or One One, but we could have lost Tormund, we could have lost Davos, we could have lost John, we could have lost Sansa. And all of them somehow made it through. I'm not saying that they made it through unscathed and, and, and are completely fine. But I think that I carry a bit of uneasiness into the finale now with all of yeah. those people making it through what has traditionally been the episode of every season preceding. So that's my only concern. If the episode was aimed to trigger emotions and uh the the viewing public then you know think about those scenes of organs and chaos yeah. and of just true loss of hope when john was falling beneath those bodies like we we saw what was happening but can we talk about you know the the actions that sort of led john into that that sinking pit of despair that there was seeming i mean what we felt during something that we're just watching is is strange and i i'm i'm seeing that from everyone on twitter i'm seeing that from uh people writing it on facebook people are really happy and they think this episode was was cool but i think that there's just something that's just not quite settled there's a there's a feeling that's not quite reached there's no there's not a level I'm, what am i thinking of it's like uh a lot of you haven't really gotten your peace from this episode yet. I think that's a fair yeah. point. I mean, it felt it felt very disorienting. Like I look through, I'm looking through my notes and I'm trying to pull out specific pieces from the battle to talk about and things like that. But I, I think it was very disorienting and it's, a lot was happening at once and having, being from John's perspective through so much of it, um, I think they did that very, very well. They were really successful in making us feel like we were there i didn't feel that satisfied with uh the way we've won one one ending the siege early was fantastic it was really 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 sad to see him decorated with arrows and then of course ramsey as if the things with rickon and everything else leading up to the sixth season wasn't enough is the one to take the final shot on one one and have the balls to stand in front of john and say how about that one-on-one -on -one that you talked mm. about mm. the john 
charging him while he's shooting arrows at him and he's stopping them with the shield and then just punching him forever. I felt like that was <laughs> all of us collectively as an audience throwing yeah, punches that's a good point. In, in his face. Like that was a little bit of a, a nod for us to be like, hey, we can all go at him now finally. And he's had practice dodging arrows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I man, when John's punching Ramsey into a pulp, I stood up and I was like, when he looks over at Sansa, I was like, if Sansa just like pulled out a sword and killed him right then and there, I would have died. So Sansa putting his dogs on Ramsey is just as satisfying. But there was a moment there when I thought that could have happened. Yeah. And Zach, maybe this will resonate a little bit because I think for me with this episode, part of what left me... I don't know the, the right way to describe it, but as I would see these different moments, it, it felt like these characters were so vulnerable, but yet nothing happened to them. So, for example, you had Danny and Tyrion that are standing there right in front of the masters. And at any moment, any of them could have done anything to them that would have resulted in their deaths. Same thing with John on the battlefield. You know, it's it's almost like by luck that he's able to make it through. Tormund, you know, I, I just, I think to all these individual moments throughout this entire episode where traditionally when there's been those moments where they've, they've been out in the open or they've been vulnerable, it's usually resulted in them being killed. You know, with a moment when John turns away, as you mentioned, to look at Sansa and Ramsay's there, I feel like in the past, Ramsay would have had a knife and shoved it right into John's stomach. Like, yeah. yeah. And and yet that didn't happen. So I, I think it's just, we have had these expectations coming in to the show that when these moments occur, we're meant to think that something worse is, is coming. Our, our side, if that's mm-hmm. how we want to look at it, is not going to prevail. It, you know, whether we're you think not about, used to winning. No, yeah, we're well, not. yeah, I think we're nervous to like accept that we won. I think that's what it is. Like, interesting. More than anything, mm. John running, charging forward, independent of his entire group of men, and, uh, to save Rick and I know, but no one followed him, and I just none of that. Yeah, that just felt kind of strange to me. Didn't it feel like he was accepting death again? Right before the two armies clash, there is that shot of the back of John's head and he pulls out his sword. And I just kind of felt like he then there was like, you know what? If I die, I'm going to die. It's going to be fine. And then just in the nick of time, both of the armies ended up clashing. Is that, is that what happened? Did the Bolton armies avoid him at all? Is there Was there any ever a moment where you were thinking that maybe what John said was true and that the men were not? fiercely loyal to Ramsey because on, on one hand like we saw them being surrounded we saw John's men get slaughtered there's no other word for it um you know but I kind of wanted to see some of the some of the other men of the north not do not behave as if they were a very extension of Ramsey's completely fucked up mind um I, I think what ended up happening was we did see them as just sort of an extension of Ramsey I don't think they acted independently especially the leader of uh one of the houses that torment fought with like it just seemed like they were all doing ramsey's bidding without much asking and i think that was a little underwhelming considering what john warned or what john's strategy was was to basically disenfranchise the men of the north and get them back over to their side there was never an opportunity 
to gain that edge. Uh, you know, John's John's men were at just such a tactical disadvantage and it really cost them. And that could be an interesting when we're looking at when now that John and Sansa hold Winterfell, at least for now, that could be an interesting point as we look to rebuild the North, I guess, in, in a sense, mm-hmm. if that's going to come into play. For some of those families, though, I think it's looking at the two options on the table, right? It's looking at Ramsey and, and the Boltons and them holding Winterfell versus John, who was mentioned to be a deserter of the Night's Watch. And not only that, has allowed these wildlings to pass through the wall and into the north. And so they almost see it as defending their homes and defending their families because they have for so long done this. And I think there, there's a point where, where the umber is, is he's, he's rallying is like, who are we? We are the north, right? Or am I making that up? We are, yeah. We no, yeah, exactly. We are on the north. Yeah. Yeah. This is our I home. I felt like he was fighting and his men, his men were fighting at least for purposes to me, independent of Ramsey and just that's the devil they right. know. That's the guy who, right. you know, very yeah. fair, very fair. I forgot about that. Moment. But I have to give a lot of credit to Ramsey, though, uh, at least in terms from his battle planning. I don't know if he had any help, but pretty brilliant. Uh, yeah. For, for as sadistic and twisted of an individual as Ramsey Bolton was, doesn't that feel good to say? That feels great. <laughs> I love Whoa. it. <laughs> uh, That's interesting. He, he was just very strategic in this episode and the plan that he had would have worked unbelievably well. And, it, had it not been for Peter Baelish and the Vale arriving just in the nick of time. I, I mean, I was just really impressed watching through and just seeing, like I said earlier, how he was able to get his men to encircle the, and I'm sure there's a name for what he did, uh, John and Tormund and 1-1. Against and, the pile, the mountain of bodies. Yeah. I mean, just so smart. It and, was smart. And, and the way it started too, we talked about it with, with goading John with Rickon and, and then just, you know, firing the arrows. I mean, they, they were in a better strategic position pretty much the entire fight. Well, that makes me wonder, we touched on this a little bit earlier, but say the veil was there with the rest of John and company at the very beginning, would they have been able to avoid that? Or would they have ended up in the same situation, except for now everybody who could have possibly saved them is inside that death circle you know i i think it's more i think it's less likely they would have been able to be surrounded in that way like that's that's that was such a cool thing to see as it was happening it was terrifying uh but just the very first moment where they the the army where the bolton men were encircling the camp i was like well that they can do strictly because they have more people and there's no mounted soldiers as well. Yeah. 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 True. And, and and so if there were men of the Night's Watch, no, they could they couldn't have done that. Or Jesus Christ. If there were men of the Vale, they couldn't have done that. Um that specific move which caused so many extra lives. I, I feel that way at least. They were a sizable force as well. Yeah. It's it just it, it would have been planned differently, hands down. But I'm I'm mm-hmm. guessing that they weren't held off to the side to come through for dramatic suspense for the sake of the episode. I think that they probably arrived as soon as they could have arrived. So I do want to point out, though, one of my favorite moments when they're in that circle and Tormund and 1-1 are all continuing to fight and continuing to bash up against the shields and trying to take out as many men as they can, even though they're being suffocated. I loved that. They just continued to 
bravely fight. I thought that was so cool. Yeah, they really had no choice because they were being picked off at the top of that hill, and each time they they Dang, pushed forward yeah. to the shield wall, that was just like like you guys said, in, in very sadistic tactical planning by Ramsey Bolton. That that Sansa all but spelled out to John very clearly that hey, I know that I'm here as a part of your war council. I just found that interesting because she was there, and um, there was no inclusion with her in the conversation. And I'm not sure what point that was to make in the script. Well, I think that it goes to show both ways. Like, so we can be upset with Sansa that she didn't talk to John about the veil, but we can also be upset that John literally didn't listen to her. He didn't take anything into account that she said. So far as I'm concerned, if she had something to say, she should have spoke up. I'm not talking about this episode. I'm talking about well before. She has deliberately hid the Littlefinger correspondence from John. I, I really don't have a bone to pick with her all that much. It sounds like I do. I really don't, except to say that, you know, the, the, I think John would have welcomed, uh, her criticism when, when she, when she does not present. Yeah, but he an, didn't listen to her. Like he she, does, she didn't present actionable information. It was, it was just prepare for your worst nightmare. How, how yeah. what the hell is he supposed to do with that? Not like, fall really? into his trap. The fault to me doesn't rest necessarily on the character. I just don't really understand what that was all supposed to, um, like, build up to what that was supposed to mean in the she's script a major i still don't player here yeah i mean she she's not pushed off to the side so far as i can tell you know she everyone i think john most of all respects where she's she's been and does at least make an attempt to hear her uh you know when when they have their conversation is that what it is was sansa playing john this whole time i, I don't think know, so I don't know. no i don't but, think so I was surprised that there wasn't any sort of fallout, at least not yet, between Sansa and John. Like, I'm surprised that he didn't say anything to her about why did you roll up with Littlefinger? With Littlefinger's little smirk, which just cracked me up. Um, and maybe that's going to come later. But the fact that John just kind of let it slide, at least right now, and wasn't angry about it. saved it, his life. Well, yeah, he I mean, just came out of that meat grinder. Yeah, I don't know. Fear not. Whatever Sansa, whatever this cost the the north i won't even say sansa although that's the way i see it you know whatever it cost her whatever she promised whatever he's going to ask for in return he will get and it will not be altogether or she'll kill him too, eh, she had that opportunity once didn't take it obviously that paid off i'm not sure if she would kill him she set her ramsey's dogs on ramsey and watched them tear his face off i hope it's the last time she does that i don't want her to be in the note show's new ramsey you know but i don't think that's uh likely to happen for the record this is very exciting. Today we are sponsored by Mr. Robot. On July 13th, Mr. Robot, the 2015 Peabody Award and Critics' Choice Award winner, returns for a second season to USA Network. Starring Golden Globe and SAG Award nominee Rami Malek and Golden Globe Award winner Christian Slater. Christian Slater. Yeah, well <laughs> Christian Slater. Mr. Robot follows Elliot, a cybersecurity engineer by day and vigilante hacker by night who follows a mysterious leader to join hacker group F Society. They put their skills to the test in taking down E-Corp, a giant conglomerate that owns the whole world's personal and banking information. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone, but in the first episode, in the pilot, there was a coffee shop, and one time I posted an episode of this podcast from that said coffee shop. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. That exact coffee shop. No correlation. Shop. No. That's cool. I was very surprised and a little concerned. I 
think I'm a little worried now. But when they pulled the hack off, they quickly realized that they had no idea what they were getting into. Mr. Robot is full of stellar acting and one of the most uniquely shot TV shows around. Mr. Robot returns for season two on Wednesday, July 13th at 10, 9 central on USA Network. You can learn more about Mr. Robot by checking out the official show homepage at usanetwork.com slash Mr. Robot or their Twitter handle at who is Mr. Robot. We thank Mr. Robot for not hacking the show. (laughs) (laughs) We'd like to take a moment to thank Harry's for sponsoring this episode of Game of Owns. Our beloved characters got themselves into some close shaves this episode, (laughs) but none of them got as close a shave as I did using my Harry's razor. Let me tell you guys. And, And I'm being serious too actually um my shave lasted for several days which not all shaves do and uh you know we we received uh, a sampling of harry's razors for this sponsorship and i was thrilled to receive it and to try it out as well as the aftershave which just really made my, my skin feel great you you were sent the truman set yes and you took it to indie popcon this past weekend i did yes that's true i even talked to myself in the mirror like the truman that that Jim Carrey as Truman does uh, right. in the Truman Show. <laughs> right. Did yeah. you take a video? Uh, no. <laughs> Too bad. The video camera was presumably on the other side of the mirror. I spoke about my interest in Harry's in the last episode they sponsored, having purchased their own factory that produces these blades, completely cutting out the middleman and allowing for them to create products directly to send to those of you who are listening to our podcast. It's time for you to stop compromising on your shave and get started with Harry's. For far too long, you've either paid too much for a comfortable shave or you've settled for a low price but low quality razor. Harry's offers something you've never had before, a great shave at a fair price. Harry's makes its own high-quality razors, cuts out the middleman, and ships them directly to you for half the price of the leading brand. Good shave, good price, it's simple. Get the best of both with Harry's. Harry's will give you $5 off your purchase with promo code OWNS. So go to harrys.com right now and look for the Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code OWNS at checkout to get $5 off and help support the show. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. We're also sponsored by Blue Apron. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron achieves this by supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. Whether it's Japanese ramen noodles, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, or heirloom tomatoes, Blue Apron is bringing you the best. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with pre-portioned ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Just yesterday, actually, I pieced together the New England-style salmon rolls with roasted potatoes and chives. That sounds incredible. From my personal experience, the pre-portioned ingredients are very useful when putting a meal together after the fact, and it just makes sense in my refrigerator. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients and can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. Check out this week's menu and get your three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash owns. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash owns. 
Blue Apron. A better way to cook. Well, if John and Sansa don't throw down in some capacity next week, I can guarantee you there are two characters who very much will. In Davos and Melisandre. Yeah. (laughs) And look, I don't know how the stag survived in the snow. Was it wooden? For that long a period of time. Do you think it was wooden? Survived the fire? And Davos, yeah, exactly. And Davos just managed to uh, happen upon it, but... We have to suspend disbelief for the stag, Micah. I know. The stag reinvigorates... And from the preview next next week, this is great. Okay, I was stealing myself for Davos to die this episode. Okay, it didn't it didn't happen. Uh, Davos is still alive, and he really just seems to have a reinvigorated sense of purpose. He's going to attempt to smear the Red Woman in front of John. That's at least what was in the preview. He just says, uh, "Tell him what you did to her," meaning Shireen. This is something that Davos feels passionate about. And he's he's found it within himself to get angry, I think, uh, about what has happened now that they can finally breathe, now that they can finally have time to deal with the, the horrors of the war that that has essentially just ended, at least temporarily been put on hold, uh, kept at bay. You know, Davos is finally able to get angry about Shireen uh, being killed in the way that she was. And I think that that is going to be probably a good arc for him, if not you know, in just the next episode, but in the coming seasons of really trying to find a place. He did so well as John's advisor, just like he did Stannis' advisor. But once Stannis is down, I was AI this thought, I wrote it in my notes, like, what what is his, is he happy doing this, you know, or is he sort of concealing feelings? And I think that he's really going to be able to let a lot of his feelings out in the next step. So I'm really looking forward to it. I'm interested to see what Melisandre's reaction is going to be because we see in this episode when she's talking to John about how she doesn't know why John came back or she knows that she doesn't have necessarily any powers. It's the Lord of Light that brought him back. And just her the change of what she's gone through this whole season. We've seen her at the beginning of the season with the fact that she's an old woman um, to where she is now sitting by the fire, not sure what her or John's purpose is. It'll be interesting to see what her answer to that, whatever Davos comes with to her with, is going to be. Yeah, I, I loved her in this episode. She's still as unsure as she ever was, but she essentially refused to not try and bring John back to life. Wasn't that cool? Yeah. She's like, ah, you know, the Lord of Light might have purpose for you. you right, like, not. this isn't my choice. This isn't my yeah, choice. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's essentially saying she's going to find his body wherever it may be and try to bring him back just to see if the Lord of Light, because she's... That's how desperate she is for for purpose herself, though, which I think that that's a brilliant way of underscoring that for the character. It's interesting, though, that Davos will look now to go after Melisandre when he relied on her, trusted in her abilities to bring John back to life. And so even these characters that we find ourselves most closely connected to can do things Along, I, I mean, quite honestly, I thought when they saw him walking, you know, they showed him walking into Winterfell, uh, holding the stag, and they showed uh, Melisandre kind of up um, on on one of the, uh, I don't know if she was on the battlements, but just on one of yeah. the upper levels. I, I honestly thought he was going to go and kill her uh, for, oh geez, yeah, for what he, for what she made Stannis do. I mean, I think he's figured it out at this point, mm-hmm. and it's very clear from the preview that he's going to 
bring her before John and, and, and I think have John judge her, uh, for, for what she uh, chose to do to Shireen. And, uh, yeah, I tweeted out during the episode, keep Lady Mormont away from Melisandre because oh God. Uh, we haven't she, even talked about her yet. I, I, that was awesome, by the way, that she was sitting up there during the, uh, <laughs> the parlay with, uh, her with Ramsey. Her game is on point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So awesome. I just don't know what purpose it would serve. I think that it would have made more sense for him to react with with more passion than uh, you know back when she first arrived at at Castle Black when Stannis was defeated to do it now I mean to to, to happen across a, a wooden figurine or whatever it's carved out of in the snow uh you know however many days or weeks or months later <laughs> in in a pyre of ash and wood i mean <laughs> we'll see how it plays out but i'm not i'm not big on this one like we mentioned before i like that it's playing out after she brings john back because i think that lends to another interesting layer to everything that she's done so i i think i think that that just plays I like that this is coming out after she's already done this very real thing. Yeah, because she's she's always been the opposite of Thoros of Mir, right? Mm-hmm. Thoros has always brought people back to life versus Melisandre, who always seems to sacrifice people in the hopes that that will somehow ensure the events that she has seen in the flames to come. And John is really the first that we know about uh, that she's actually done some good and she's brought him back to life. So, yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see even how John reacts to that because mm-hmm. he's alive because of her. Yeah. So, is, is he going to be willing to just... It's an unwinnable... Executor? ...situation, I think, in my opinion, because for that reason. How is he going to sentence someone to die? I mean, it's 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 going to be a lesser sentence for sure, I think. He owes her his life or his second life, whatever you want to call it. I, and, and Davos, you know, this might cause a rift between Davos and John, uh, his inability to essentially punish the woman who he owes his life to. So, uh, you know, I, I think that it, it's possible they will have conflict that we did not expect, but in terms of Davos coming into this anger late or later than you would think, uh, that he would, Mike, I, I think too, what helped him was, was talking about it with somebody with Tormund. This uh, this brief conversation about the men that they both followed, the kings they both followed, you know, uh, Mance and Stannis, and to have Davos say, uh, to use that turn of phrase or manner of speaking, uh, the demons in his head, it's yeah. a great riff on the joke that there are probably <laughs> things like demons up north and Tormund believes in 100%. But the fact that Davos was able to say that and he realized, you know, at Tormund's response, actually, so no, it wasn't demons. It was, you know, it's a matter of speaking. Well, who was in Stannis's head? It was the Red Woman. And and I think he realizes there's a very real earthly uh, cause of Stannis's downfall and that it is the Red Woman. And I honestly think that that's something that uh, came to him in that moment. And after walking all night and further brooding may have also worked to reinvigorate his anger towards her. Oh, man. This is not going to be good. Trouble in paradise. But after this episode, I I, I, I think paradise is a foregone conclusion. This, uh, this was brutal and bloody and piles of bodies and 
three dragons in the sky. <laughs> I couldn't help but think as this was happening and men of the north, including those from the far north, were crossing swords and spears with one another and blood was flying and people were dying that I couldn't help but just, this is just so unnecessary. This is just live, just stop, you know. And obviously, we're all we're all thinking that part of us inside of our minds as we're watching it all unfold are thinking about what we saw in episodes previous when we saw mm-hmm. attack the tree and how they're coming and why they're coming, and to have it immediately juxtaposed earlier in the episode with what I feel like was just a very bold statement of what we can expect to see later, like what is to come. Like I said before, this is I feel like a very bold slice of the end game presented to us within an episode where yet again, uh, basically friend is fighting friend by friend. I mean, human is fighting human and the same things happening in Marine, except really it was dragon (laughs) fighting human. So it was, it was a little different out Marine situation was a little different, but, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Episode 10 is going to lead us into a very specific direction, I think, because I I, I still feel uh, disoriented from from what we saw because we've had a stretch of episodes that have been devoid of Ramsey Bolton, but here we are. This was a lot of Ramsey Bolton. This was a lot of that sort of nightmare and Winterfell coming to a close. But when you look at the the full scale of the story again, this just we're getting payoff because of the horrible th- things that he's done and and in Sansa's case. Uh, just retribution to a level that we can't even that we can't match so far in the show we we got that and like we said we don't know what to do with it yet but the same could be said for what's happening in marine we got that we got the dragons taking down danny's foes together with her flying in the sky thanks for the armada <laughs> mm-hmm. so we don't you know we're still i guess disoriented from that a bit like what what do we expect from there Luckily, we got the scenes with the Greyjoys, but we don't have any of uh, the falling action from the Battle at Winterfell to uh, sort of steer us in the right direction yet. So, a lot of unanswered questions there. And how about just the fact that the Starks have reclaimed Winterfell? The We saw the banners fly. I mean, how long in the making has that been? Hard, hard won. Mm-hmm. Victory hard won. Like... I don't even know if I could say that I felt good when I saw that. I was I was trying to feel relieved, but I was really just catching my breath from the war. It's it's a great thing. I don't know what I'm saying. It's 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 wonderful <laughs> to see. That's what we've wanted. Yeah, well, that, I think that's part of what makes this episode so unique is that we're so accustomed to going back and forth between all these different storylines and developments within those storylines, the characters in those storylines. And yet in this episode, it was really just two and they, they took up the entire hour. And one thing I did like though, is how they were tied together. And I'm sure you guys caught this as well, but when Tyrion is first talking with Theon, he says, the last time that I saw you is at Winterfell. (laughs) And then mm-hmm. the mention of both Bran and Rickon, and of course, poor Rickon, uh, even though Theon said that he didn't kill him now, unfortunately, Rickon is dead. no longer with us. But yeah. uh, I like the the writing there and the ability to tie the two together. I mean, you're talking all the way back in season one. Right. When when Tyrion and, and Theon were doing <laughs> things with Roz. <laughs> yeah. And now they're in Marine. And, uh, you know, one interesting uh, theory that I heard, um, I had uh, caught up with some friends over the weekend, and 
One of them suggested, wouldn't it be quite ironic if Theon now teams up with Grey Worm and, and he has more of a purpose that he can fit in with that group? Hmm. He has an, an understanding for what it's like, unfortunately, to be a eunuch. And he we know him to be a pretty decent soldier, right? I mean, we've seen him fight. Um, remember the bow and arrow from Yeah, he's well trained. Yeah. So, could he lead the Unsullied? With Grey Worm. Do you think that Theon's on the emotional level to be able to do that? Would be my only I'm not question. Sure about that. <laughs> yeah, the more time he spends with his sister and Daenerys, though, I think he's getting there. I mean, he was more so, Theon too. in this episode than we've we've seen him yet. Yeah. And I could talk for an entire episode about the feels uh, watching Theon and his sister stand in front of Tyrion and Daenerys, and uh, the back and forth between Asha and Daenerys just. The, the possibilities that they're creating, the power that they they collectively have and what mm-hmm. they represent. I mean, this is stuff oh, yeah. that I feel like, you know, I, after reading the book, after, you know, reading Feast and Dance, right. you hope you hope for this kind of thing and it's happening right now in the TV show and, you know, <laughs> just jammed into the episode that the Battle of Winterfell was in. Yeah. And the fact that they were able to just connect because what Yara was explaining was so reminiscent in many ways of things that Danny had gone through, especially when she starts to talk about the crow's eye and mm. what his yeah. intents are and what his real purpose is going to be and why her and Theon are better allies. And it just, everything seemed to click. Like you could just tell they didn't even need to speak to each other. There's the interaction, the eyes going in between. It, it was just, I thought really well done. No, it worked really well. And for the sake of the conversation from last week, Tyrion seeing Masande and Grey Worm in, in direct contrast to their earlier conversation about jokes and drinking in season six and seeing the change now where they shifted, I think that we saw a Grey Worm with more emotion than we've ever seen in this episode. He was so precise with that killing blow, too. It was really, really, really cool. And he fixed his tunic. He's like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was great to see them in action and and doing what they know how to do best and standing during that negotiation with the slavers. Um, I, I felt like it's like I said before, I felt like everything that I had been annoyed about with all of them this whole season felt redeemed because they're so good at what they do. Um, and gray worms move to kill those two guys was really awesome. And and they first, they made the others unsullied turn and run. (laughs) That was so awesome. It was good light moment. I really love Tyrion's line after when when they spared that guy's life. And I he said a lot and I wasn't able to get all of it down right mm. now, but about how he lived by the grace of her majesty, by by Danny, and that she needs to now go back and remind everybody what happened when Danny came with her dragons to Marie and kind of let people mm-hmm. know yeah. what you've seen here and help people understand that this is real and that these dragons are here and we're not messing around. And I thought that was, I know that was very, very cool. It was perfect too how the setup of, uh, you know, one of you must die. The two guys selling the, the guy who ended up living out by saying he's not one of us. He's lowborn. that sealed their own fate. Uh, you know, they were an easy target after that. And the, the, the lowborn man, uh, on his knees pleading, you know, shows a little bit of humility, I feel, versus the other two. It it was it really helped make the decision uh, a lot the decision a lot easier. I felt. Yeah, and with the use of only a few characters, it 
told the narrative of Slaver's Bay and sealed exactly. the narrative of Slaver's Bay. Mm-hmm. You would know what's going to happen now when Danny Danny can leave. I think it sounded like, at least we're supposed to believe that, the fear of God was put into that area of the world by what happened to Marine, and that if they, if Daenerys ever hears, if a raven reaches her, if ravens yeah. reach her from the very far east, uh, that says... They're not listening to her orders. She's going to fly over on her dragons and she's going to torch everything again. Yeah. (laughs) If that doesn't scare them, then I don't know what will. Do you think dragons in the sky were the signal for the uh, Dothraki to storm the gates as well? We got to see a little bit of the ends. We got to see a little bit of the ends of uh, the Sons of the Harpy from the looks of things uh, this episode and all those Dothraki rounding the corner on horseback. uh, A rolled. With his arc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It felt good. I felt at the end of this very first scene, at the very beginning of this episode, that we could have ended there in Marine and I would have felt awesome. I feel <laughs> to to even just end with, with Grey Worm and with Tyrion, that line Tyrion said about remembering Danny. I felt like we could have just had a 10 minute episode and I would have been satisfied. And so, so many awesome moments. When we're done recording tonight, I'm going to start this episode over again. And relish every moment immediately. Yes, I know that was so cool. And and so we we can talk about the heraldry of what she pulled off and the implications far-reaching inside of Marine, inside of Slaver's Bay, and what it will grow into when she moves eventually west or hopefully east to Westeros. But I think it's safe in this moment to give, at least for me, my definitive own of this episode and an episode that was filled with. Truly sensational stuff. Uh-huh. Daenerys gets the own for assembling what is clearly the most badass council of leaders in her <laughs> council of leaders. That makes no sense. But how do you stand against Tyrion, Masande, Grey Worm, Three Dragons? You can't. And now Yara and Theon. Yara, yeah. Theon. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's a good one. That's definitely a good one. We saw what they're doing in the North right now. They're still fighting each other over land and yeah. kneeling and... Not the White Walkers. It's almost season seven, don't they know? I think think they do. I think even the ones that are fighting each other know, (laughs) Uh, which is why they needed to go to war now to uh, be able to end all their skirmishes and uh, prepare for the next one. (laughs) That's uh, that's something I'm worried about is how many wildlings are really left uh, to help with the battle against the dead. But uh, as I worry about that, I am composing myself for uh, my own of the episode, which will go to uh, 1-1, of course, uh, Hero's death, uh, but uh, specifically for uh, what he did with his hand when it was impaled in the arrow. Oh. Uh, you know, really, that that moment where I was just, he, he punched two holes in the door and lifted the, the, the brace. Uh, un- unbelievable. And uh, he only he only hesitated for a moment before fix before uh, freeing his hand. So I, I thought that way. I mean, the hero's death in general, but uh, but one one man, you're you you were you were a badass. That's a really good own. He was. He got one more door before he. Uh... <laughs> yeah, those Bolton men didn't hold the door near as well. Um, I'm just saying, he likes taking down doors. I, I would have thought that would have spread to the Boltons, uh, but apparently not. Also, no Tower of Joy finish. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, next episode. It's happening next episode. It has to happen next episode because we don't have <laughs> any time to. left. We're, we're so out of sorts in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just looking ahead to the preview for next week's episode. Uh, I mean, I remember seeing Jamie in at the Twins. Yeah, so if we think we're all over the place, next episode of the show is going to be all over the place. So, Well, I have to give my own uh, to Tormund. During his conversation with Davos, because first of all, that was an amazing conversation between two people that need to have more of those types of conversations. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he offers him some sour goat's milk, <laughs> which is better. I forget exactly what he or said. That grace, like swill you drink or something like that. The grape yeah. water or what? And oh, Davos grape water, yeah. just politely rejects it in the manner that Davos always does. But <laughs> no, not for me. I need to go walk. I sense the beginning of a, a very long-lasting friendship for the two of them. Now that they both I survived. So. Yeah. Yeah. Now that they'll never die ever because they made it out of that meat grinder. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a easily a 12-foot wall of bodies that was... <laughs> it, it'll haunt my nightmares. Though, yeah. I, I know I always go the comedic route, but that was that was uh that that one out over one I was actually going to give to Sansa. I hope Hannah does. I actually Hannah. was going to try to avoid giving my own to Sansa. So then I can say it. Yeah, you can say <laughs> it. Just the line, "You're going to die tomorrow, Lord yes. Bolton." Sleep that was well. amazing. And then she rides off. Yes. I mean, the fact that she's there looking him in the eye anyway, I think, is incredible. She got to keep her promise. I am going to give my own to Yara and. Danny finding a match made in heaven together. I just think it's going to be so cool to have them teamed up together. And because I feel like as we touched on, they they've been through so many of the same things um, and they understand each other. So I think it's, that's going to be really cool when Danny's asking her if, or asking Yara if the Iron Islands has ever had a queen before. And Yara's like, no more than Westeros. And they both kind of exchange these knowing looks mm-hmm. between each other. I loved that so much. And so I'm so excited to see more interactions between the two of them. Well, those those were our owns uh, for this episode. You, Many of you already know the truth, true secret behind Game of Owns' owns, which are that the majority are collected uh, from you, the listener who sends us uh, the owns after each episode's airing in one of typically in one of three ways. Of course, over on Twitter, twitter.com slash game of owns at replies at game of owns. Send us your uh, owns that way over on Facebook. Scroll up on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash game of owns with your owns there or email us contact at game of just as a reminder before we leave, Mr. Robot returns for season two on Wednesday, July 13th at 10, 9 central on USA Network. Watch that show. As episode nine is traditionally the biggest episode of each season, maybe with the exception of last season, um, we have a pretty big announcement to make in conjunction with tonight's episode. And that big announcement is that a con is coming. Con of Thrones. Summer 2017. We're obviously very, very excited to share this with everyone. And especially to those of you listening to our podcast. This has been literally years in the making. And I could be more excited to have announced it on such a uh, just crazy night. And luckily, we're at the point where we can actually announce it. And yeah, 
next summer, June 30th through July 2nd in Nashville, Tennessee. It's going to be the best con ever. Be, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hashtag get hyped. I'm really excited. Uh, Zach, I saw you wrote the post on Watchers. I read, I thought it was great. Um, and really explaining some of the reasons why and really intense uh, intentions, intent behind this con, a dedicated Game of Thrones convention. It's going to be a really fun opportunity to unite all the different parts of this truly fantastic community under one banner and in one place at one time. That's going to be pretty historic. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's not happened before yet. Yeah, we've never had the opportunity to all celebrate together. And so I think that this is going to do that. And I'm really excited. Yeah. So a lot of work has gone into it and a lot of work will continue to go into Con of Thrones over the next year. But now I'm able to actually tell everyone about it. And uh, this has been like, a this has been a long way today for a lot of reasons. And uh, it's almost over now at the end of this podcast episode. I'm sure, not sure. I think just going to pull a Davos and take strike out on a very long walk until the sun rises and see what happens next. Uh, well, remember that's only so that we don't hear you shitting your guts out. <laughs> Cause in the end you of the day, me. it must be scary <laughs> and, 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 and terrifying to orchestrate something of this magnitude, but that's exactly what it is. Yes, it has its own gravitational pull, this con. And most likely a few guests as well. <laughs> TBC. <laughs> no, but I, I agree with everything that uh, everybody said, just in terms of uh, being able to bring the community together in one place, under one banner. I like that, Zach. And, Thank you. Uh, I just encourage people to go to the website, drop in your email so you can get all the latest information about the con Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. It's all there. MySpace. Sorry. Mm, not sure about that. <laughs> I don't think we have Zanga. MySpace. We Live have a journal. lot to look forward to in the next year, but in the next week directly, I mean, there's just a lot of excitement right now surrounding the story and specifically season six. So between the con, between this episode, between the one that's coming and between the conversations we're going to have between then and now, this is just a really, <laughs> really exciting time. Like I said, I'm and it's crazy to think about, but at that point we will be discussing season seven wow. yeah, with just one season left for Game of Thrones. So if that doesn't get you hyped, I don't know what will, but... Uh, Is it too early to get nostalgic? <laughs> Hashtag get hyped. <laughs> it's going to be like a Dothraki wedding. Yeah, I think so. It's been a long road to Winterfell. I'm very happy to have shared the night with you guys. Same. This has been an emotional journey. We only have one episode left from season six. I can't believe it. Gosh, you're already. Well, Hannah, you know what it means, though. It means that there's still an opportunity for ghosts to kill somebody before the end Seriously, of the season. We Sixteen. Your we first two options it. have been taken off the table, though. I feel like I we got it good enough with Ramsey's dogs killing him this this episode. So I can't believe they actually showed that first. I part. can't believe they actually killed Rickon. I mean, I I knew that that was probably going to happen, but that was really sad. It would. That's just no. That was cruel. Not only did he get the one shot, which seemed to go right through his heart, he yeah, pelted with arrows after the fact when he was lying. But on the John, ground. that was the worst shot. No, yeah. but John did. Yeah, and why didn't John? Because he's protected by the Lord he's of Light. Exactly. Exactly. We have to start a whole new episode right now, guys. I know we're at the end, but yeah. Arrows, him and uh, Thoros. We'll be back again this week. We'll There's going to be another <laughs> stream of questions that need to be answered. That hopefully you'll answer alongside us. With us, well, it'll be fun. 